back again tonight. Thank you, Pastor and Emily, for going on vacation. I think you could just go on vacation every Wednesday. God bless you. And we'll just take care of things around here. I count it a privilege. This is probably the last night, you know, for a while while Pastor comes back with a refreshed new plan for Wednesday night. But uh, I've enjoyed the 17 weeks we've already done going through the miracles. We're not going to talk about the miracles tonight. We're going to go a different direction. But uh, we're going to... Uh, we're going to talk about it's not fair to compare. So let, if you got that scripture, go ahead and throw that first one up. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. There we go. What translation did you find? That looks like... Is that King James? Huh. Well, that's good. I think that... Uh, the church body so many times undervalues itself. We tend to devalue ourselves because we're not like somebody else. You weren't created to be me, and I'm not created to be you. So, you know, God doesn't want to say, why weren't you more like Justin? God wants you to say, why, why weren't you more like Tim? So I'm supposed to be like Tim. I'm not saying you should be like Tim. I mean, Paul said, follow me even as I follow Christ. So he don't mind being an example but the point is, if you look at the character of Jesus' disciples, Jesus did not take away from their character and add to it. He didn't change their nature. He improved on it. He helped them to grow. He helped them to evolve. But their characteristics and their personality stayed true all the way through. And so God wants you to understand that whatever makes you, you, was put there by God. You say, well, what I am maybe has gotten me in trouble in the past because like Peter, I'm too impetuous and I was impetuous in ways that were harmful. That doesn't mean the impetuous or bold or, or spontaneous part was wrong. It was just misdirected. So understand, God may need that quality that got us into trouble at one point in our life to get us over the hump into the kingdom and accomplishing God's will. So just allow God to help you to bloom because God has a plan and his plan is starts with he made you who you are now this pastor said this passage says we do not make ourselves uh, of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves so there's a lot of people breaking their arm to pat themselves on the back leaders and whatnot but they are measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. In my translation it says, oh, don't worry, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. So if you compare yourselves among yourselves, you're unwise. Do not compare yourself. I am not Connie and Connie is not me. Connie reminds me every day what I've got to live up to if I'm going to be anywhere near her, her standard there. But eventually, there's hope that I'll do more dishes or something. I don't know. There's something in there that's really deep. As we look at this, I want to uh, go over to a description of the disciples and just talk about it a little bit. I've never seen a time in church where somebody didn't want what somebody else had. We are the most covetous people sometimes. The Bible says not to covet, and yet we covet. We covet what the other guy's got. We covet maybe position in the church, but sometimes we just covet the car in the parking lot. Why does Sister Doodad get that car? I've always wanted one. Well, come on. If you want that payment, you can go get one too. Every time I see somebody with a new car, I say, praise God, I don't have that payment. God bless you. I'm glad you like it, you know. But I don't want the payment. I've had payments. I don't want any more. I've got plenty still. I don't want any payments. Wouldn't it be nice? I, you know what I'm going to love about heaven? There are no monthly bills. I mean, I, I just believe it'll be great in heaven. You know, you gotta, you got to pass to go through the buffet every day, and you don't have to pay a mortgage. And, you know, God's already got that covered. He's an owner. And it's not a timeshare. Wouldn't that be bad? Yeah, you get to heaven and find out it's a timeshare. 
and you know your maintenance fees and taxes come up every year and uh, just, you know heaven's not described as a timeshare we're all going to live there but it's not like that and aren't you glad what are your best qualities as we go through the list of the disciples I want you to uh, realize we don't have a lot of information on a few of them and we have a lot of information on a few of them so it's kind of a mixture so some of it won't be much to say some of it I won't say nearly enough because there's a lot more for you to dig into about each character and I would encourage you to get to know the people of the Bible because whenever somebody's in the Bible God's trying to tell you something it's like when pastor talked about Jonah and and you know we would look at Jonah what a dunce what a doofus and then pastor says isn't that the way we are sometimes and we go hmm yeah you did have to bring that up didn't you let's start out with Peter he started out as Simon Peter was always the leader in every list of the disciples he comes first he was a leader he was impetuous he was cor courageous he's the guy that got out of the boat in the middle of a storm and walked toward Jesus while they were hanging on him going ah Peter's more like if that's you Lord tell me to come on out there now, if you're hanging on to a boat for dear life, it's a big storm, and you see what looks like a spirit walking on the water, and even if he identifies himself, I'm Jesus, we'll wait and see when you get in the boat. Just come on over here. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me. Tell me, I'll come on out there. I'll come on out there with you. God did not calm the waves until after Peter started to sink. God wants you to know that the greatest place of faith is in the middle of your storm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego met Jesus in the flames. It was in the flames that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man. It was in the flames that they got to walk around and chit-chat with Jesus. It was in the flame. So many times we think that the ease is what we're looking for, but we need to recognize that in the storm is where God's going to grow us. It's where we're going to take root. You know, if you, if you bundle a tree up too tight with the sticks when it's little, it'll be weak when it's old. The tree needs to fight the wind and go with the storm. It strengthens the trunk. It strengthens the rootstock. It makes it a better tree. So when you stake it, you stake it loose. And when it can stand without the stakes, you get rid of them. So the tree has to fight the storm. God lets you into your storm. But in your storm, get excited when you see Jesus in the midst of your circumstance. Say, come on, Jesus, let's go. Now, Peter got out there, and he jumped in the middle of the storm, and he took a few steps. We don't know how far he walked out there. Jesus may have been a ways off, and he may have walked quite a ways. Or he may have taken one or two steps and his logical mind kicked in and said, you can't do this. How many times in your Christian walk has your logical mind stepped in and said, you can't do this. I'm not supposed to be the one doing this. It's supposed to be God. God can do this. God's got this. This thing we call life, we're not doing it alone. We're not doing it on our own. And we don't earn any credits because we did it on our own. God's not asking us to do it on our own. God's asking us to work in conjunction with him and accomplish great and wonderful things. It's not my authority. Anybody's ever been healed. Anybody's ever been saved. Anybody's ever been relieved of any issue, spiritual, emotional, or physical. It's in the name of Jesus. So we have to recognize in those storms, we have to do the very same thing Peter did. We have to look to Jesus. But here's the problem with the church sometimes. We fall into our human frame, our human frailty, and we look to others. The last few calendars we've had people uh, highlighted. I think that's wonderful. You know, let's highlight people that are in the church, participating in the church, help people to get to know people in the church. But I guarantee you somebody in the church is going, why in my picture in there? There should be a... You know, you couldn't even have, you know, you couldn't even have a calendar if they had me in there. They'd have to put, uh, the whole front and back would be about me. That's probably why they're not doing it. And yet there are people, there's somebody that's probably thinking, when are they going to put me in there as the highlighted individual? The Bible says be hidden. Don't worry about praise or recognition of men. 
be hidden. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Do things to the glory of God. Be a deflector. God intends for us to take the praise that we receive and people go, oh, Tim couldn't have got that done. It must have been God. And then when they look to God, they're not drawn to me. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Of course, we know he was lifted up on the cross. But it's not about me. It's about him. I was getting nervous. There are men I admire that have you know, produce Bibles and put their name on the binding, you know, the Tim Nelson, King James Version study Bible. And I, that makes me nervous. I, that new, I, even though the books are named after people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, I get that. And that's great. I don't want my name on it. I don't care if I wrote every note in it. I don't, and, and, and I'm not criticizing those that do. But the thing is, is God doesn't want us to build a platform to stand on. God wants us to be a mirror and reflect it to Jesus. Jesus, if that's you in the middle of the storm, call me out there because I want to be where you are. That's what it needs to be. If I'm in the middle of what he's doing, then great things will happen. And you know, I, I really never saw it more than when I did recovery, the idea that God will do great things and we can stand on the sideline and cheer on all the good things that are happening in people's lives. But the more we see dramatic change in people's lives, the more we realize I didn't do that. You know, Peter got back in the boat and there was nothing about Peter that said, look what I did, guys. I walked on water. I'm pretty special. He probably said, that was the scariest thing I've ever done. Oh, it's a good thing Jesus was right there. Because when my faith failed, he grabbed me. Why did his faith fail? Because instead of looking at Jesus, he was looking at his circumstance. How many times have your faith wilted? Because instead of looking at the author and finisher of our faith, we looked at our storm. But Peter, impetuous, jumps out of the boat, bold, confident, uh, you know, he, he went from being the one who denied Jesus three times to the one on the day of Pentecost that stepped out and preached to 3,000 and they were converted. What a revival if one day I could step out and 3,000 people are saved. You heard Pastor Sunday. What a thing to uh, be pouty about when Jonah had won a whole city to the Lord, 120,000 converts, and all he can think is, I don't want to share heaven with those people. Surely God's going to come to his senses. Wow. That's just like, now understand, they were mean people when they conquered Israel. They were mean people when they, you know, stormed in on them. But now they were believers. And sometimes, you know, the hard thing is to let go of the past. Matter of fact, in the church world, sometimes we glorify people's past. It's not the past that needs glory, it's the Lord. And we need to glorify God for what he brought me from. Not how bad I was in my sin. Oh, I was the baddest of the bad, oh yeah. I think I told you when <laughs> I, had, I had friends who their siblings were stealing liquor out of the parents' liquor cabinet and watering it down. I was stealing prune juice out of my grandparents' refrigerator and taking a swig of that. Couldn't wait to get in my grandparents' house because I was going to reach back in the back and pull that prune juice out. I was the most regular 10-year-old in the whole world. It's a true story. I've never drank any alcohol, but I've hit the prune juice. I know that probably, you've probably got to settle on that. Tim's up there trying to lead us, and he's a prune drinker. But just forgive me. Even as impetuous as Peter was, even as committed as Peter was, in the midst of saying the right thing, he would say the wrong thing. When, they, when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? You know, they said different names, Elijah, one of the prophets or something. And he's, Peter jumped in and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and he not only got praised for that, but Jesus said, you didn't even come up with that. God in heaven put that in your heart, Peter. So then Peter could say, look how connected I am. And then when Jesus went on to say how he was going to die and fall into the hands of wicked men and they were going to take his life, he grabbed him and shook him and said, say it ain't so. Quit talking like this, Jesus. We can't have you going down that road. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. 
This is the same Peter. Peter who's getting his feet washed and uh, he said, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy to have you wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you'll have no part of me, Peter. And Peter said, okay, well, that's fine. Wash my feet and my head and, and maybe get my hands because I want to be sure I'm part of you. Jesus said, no, the feet are enough. If you bathe after being on a dusty road, you just need your feet washed. We don't need to get carried away, Peter. Peter, who pulled a sword out and cut off Malchus, the high priest's servants here, Jesus had to put it back and tell Peter to put the sword away. But before the cock crowed, denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Now, how many times have you kind of felt like that? Like, I get it right one day, and I get it really wrong the next. I think all the men are nodding their head because marriage is like that, you know. One day you get it really right, and you think you can coast on that. You find out the next day there is no coasting on it at all. You're in trouble for something you didn't do. So he's a leader. He's impulsive. He's, he's courageous. He's bold. He's confident. He led 3,000 to the Lord. He did deny Christ, but then Christ restored him because he repented. You know, Jesus actually said to one of the disciples, It'd be better if you'd never been born. We'll get to that in a minute, but ouch, that's painful, isn't it? To hear that from your creator. Andrew was the first to follow. The first six of the disciples, the first half of the disciples came from John the Baptist. They were disciples of John the Baptist already. They were already seeking. And Jesus came along and scooped them up. John the Baptist actually pointed Andrew to him and said, go on. There he is. I know you want to. Go follow him. Andrew went and got Peter. Andrew was Peter's brother. He found Peter. He told him all about, uh, the, I think I've found the Messiah. I've found him. He was the first to, uh, to find Jesus. He was open-minded. He was earnest. He's the one that found the boys' lunch. He was the one that, that when they were scattering out through the 5,000 trying to find something to feed people, he found a boy's lunch. Now, he did say it like this. He said, I found a boy's lunch, but what is this among so many? Little is much when God is in it. You have to recognize that sometimes you might feel like you bring just a little bit to the table, but Jesus is only asking for just a little bit. If you open your hand, he'll fill it. It's amazing how a boy's lunch in his little Samson lunchbox, you know, which had to be like, you know, a sardines and biscuits for breakfast. And, and he takes that lunch and he blesses it. 5,000 are fed. 12 baskets of scraps are scooped up. The mother's got to be like, why do these, what are they doing bringing all this stuff into the kitchen? He said, Mom, those are leftovers from lunch. That didn't fit in your lunchbox. I know. Isn't it neat? Andrew was kind of a gatekeeper, too, when Philip found the Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. And this is the cry of the world. We would see Jesus. People really don't want to see Tim. They might like Tim. We might have be on friendly terms. But what the world is seeking is Jesus. There's a story told about John Lennon. When he wrote the song, Help, I Need Somebody, he was seeking, spiritually seeking. And the church didn't step up. That's rock and roll. We don't want any part of that. We'd rather burn their records or whatever. And then you, my wife and I were uh, listening to My Sweet Lord the other day. Uh, not that we listened to, you know, secular music, but uh, 101.5 is a pretty good station. Of course, I didn't know that when I found it, you know, but it, anyway. He goes from my sweet Lord Hallelujah to my sweet Lord Herod Krishna. The rumor is, and I don't have any facts to verify this, I'll have to get to heaven before I know, but John Lennon, from all appearances, may have been saved before he perished, before he was shot. I don't know. Only God knows. But wouldn't it be great to see, you know, it's like uh, 
I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, and you know, Abraham Lincoln said, don't trust everything you read on the internet. <laughs> Wait a minute, that doesn't sound right, does it? Anyway, uh, you know, there was Robert Schuller, no, 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 it wasn't Robert Schuller, it was uh, Norman Vincent Peale's daughter was in an accident and lost her leg. And somehow word got to John Wayne and he sent a note to her, said he was thinking about her. And she sent a note back that said, I hope you'll receive Jesus as your personal savior. I can't imagine heaven without the, the, the neat John Wayne uh, person. And uh, she couldn't get to the dinner, but she knew somebody that was going to a dinner and asked him to take the note. And they took the note and forgot all about it until they reached in their jacket, felt the note, passed it down to John Wayne. He started, he started into tears. And he turned down the table and he said to the one who passed this to me, just tell that little girl she'll see me in heaven. And uh, I'm accepting Jesus. I don't know if John Wayne will be there, but wouldn't that be good? Hang out with the Duke in heaven? And Peter, James, and John, you know, all the, all the whole gang. You know, we only have an image of some of these people. We don't know what they're really like, you know. Remember, actors are told what to say. They're given a script. They behave like they're told. But imagine people that you maybe admire or look up to. It'll be great to see them in heaven. But the Bible says to love your enemies too. Wouldn't it be amazing if we get to heaven and find out that certain people made it that we just couldn't imagine being there? You know, some conqueror, some uh, potentate, some, uh, somebody that just was in... Well, you heard the missionary Sunday. What did they say? I want to present the gospel to Kim Young un whatever his name was. Wouldn't it be amazing if he did? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got to heaven and this guy that was so mean to this country turned his heart toward Jesus? You know, the problem is there's no peace or joy without Christ. There's a lot of people that think they can find it by other means, so they strive and strive and strive. But when they achieve what they think will bring peace and joy, they realize that it's not there. Andrew found Jesus, and he didn't keep his mouth shut. He went and told his brother. He said, I think I found him. And when the Greeks came to Philip, Philip took them to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip took them to Jesus. So Andrew was like a gatekeeper. It's like, hey, these people want to see Jesus. Hey, Andrew, you think you can get them in there? So Andrew had a really wonderful role of introducing. You know, you've got to be that person. When we talk about winning the lost, all we're doing is introducing people to Jesus. That's all. That's all we do. I don't save anybody. Jesus saves them. Jesus saves. Tim spins and spins and spins, but Jesus saves. He saves and saves and saves. God wants to reach the lost. All we have to do is introduce them and be an example of what it's like to be a Christian. James, the son of Zebedee, he was, uh, him and his brother were part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John got these awesome opportunities. They got to go into Jairus' daughter's room when she was raised from the dead. Would you like to be there and see somebody raised from the dead? The other disciples weren't in there. Just the parents, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And they watched when he said, wake up, little girl. And out of her death sleep, she woke up. And then Jesus said, you know, feed her. Because I think sometimes people do get caught up in the moment and don't realize there may be some need here. Lady that was dead needs a sandwich. Come on, people. Help her out. James was called uh, the son of Zebedee. So I'm assuming John was the son of Zebedee. They were called the sons of thunder. So they were radicals, passionate. Uh, you know, just really into uh, their beliefs. James was the first to die. Herod killed James. And it pleased the crowd, so he captured Peter and John, and of course they were released. But he wanted to kill them next because the crowd seemed pleased that he killed James. It's interesting, James was the first to die, John was the last to die. And these guys were passionate about a cause, but John went from being like a zealot to being the lovey, 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 first, second, third John. I mean, it's all about love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. This is John. 
Lovey, 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 lovey. He's also the one that was always leaning against Jesus and probably the youngest of the disciples. James died first. He was the first martyred, not long after Jesus, probably not more than eight or ten years. And John would be the last one on the Isle of Patmos who'd been exiled. And even though he didn't die a martyr's death, they boiled him in oil. And they put him out on a rock in the Mediterranean with criminals. He had great revelations there during that time, but he also suffered greatly as well. James was fanatical. He was committed. John was, James and John were probably wealthy because we know from the scripture description they had uh, some wealth. They had servants. So imagine Peter, even though he's a leader, poor fisherman, and James and John are walking around with a butler, you know, a manservant, you know, somebody helping them put their robe on, you know. They, they had a little bit of money. We don't know that they were extravagantly wealthy, but they had some funds. They were doing well. It's possible James and John were actually related to Jesus as distant cousins. Um, possibly. They were the ones whose mother asked if they could have the left and right. On the cross, Jesus wasn't allowed to pick who was on his left and right. It was a thief. One who got saved and one who cursed him. The one who got saved is still my most jaw-dropping, amazing person in the Bible. Watching Jesus die and could say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's somebody that can see beyond the horizon. All the disciples had scattered except for John. John was right there at the base of the cross. And John is the one that Jesus entrusted his mother's care to. Because he said, you know, look at your mother, mother, look at your son. Jesus was arranging from the cross to have his mom taken care of. It's called honoring your mother and father. And that's what Jesus did right from the cross. I'm still amazed that the, that the man on the cross said, remember me. Remember me? I'm about to suck my last breath on this planet. But he could see that this isn't over. I don't know why. I don't know how. But he could see that <laughs> this is not over. How many times have you used your natural senses to determine your spiritual outcome? Philip, Philip was the one who found Nathaniel and said, I have found the Messiah. Now, that wasn't true. Jesus called Philip. He was inquisitive, critical. He was always saying things like, show us the Father. And Jesus had to say, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But when Philip went to Nathaniel, which is also called Bartholomew, Philip said, uh, I think I've found him. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just did this nudge that you need to remember. Come and see. What do you got to lose? Come and see. Now, Nathaniel, uh, which is also called Bartholomew in different Gospels. I don't know why the difference. He encounters Jesus for the first time, and Jesus jumps ahead of any question he has and says, Look, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. What he's saying is there's no wickedness. Look at that righteous fellow. Nathaniel perked up, you know, and said, how do you know me? And he said, I saw you under the tree. And he said, oh, my Lord. I believe because under the tree, he said, is the Messiah ever going to come? God, is the Messiah ever going to come? I believe he had a prayer time under that tree, and he said desperately, God, the Romans are so cruel. Is your promised Messiah ever going to come? And Jesus comes along and says, I saw you under the tree. And he says, oh, my, the Lord. Now, there's a lot of differences in these people. And it's not fair to compare because they all had different purposes. Nathaniel's very composed. Philip's very inquisitive. Thomas, which is also known as Didymus or the twin, he was full of pessimism and doubt. When 
they were going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. All the disciples tried to persuade Jesus not to go that way because they knew he was being hunted. And there were going to be people that were going to do harm to Jesus. And only Thomas said, oh, let's just go die with him. So he did say, let's go. But he had that sort of fatalistic view like, we might as well just go die. We love the guy. Let's just go with him and die. They would ultimately all die, except for John, who lived a natural life. James, the son of Alphaeus, we don't know hardly anything about him. He's just a quiet figure, faithful, committed, but not really a noisy guy. You know, there's people when they enter the room, you know they're in the room. We could have 300 people in here, and there are certain people when they enter the room, you immediately tune into that pitch of their voice. All of a sudden, oh, they're here. And you just know because they, boom, they're like Peter, very loud and impetuous and, you know, all that. And then there are these people that slip in and out and we may not even notice them like James, son of Alphaeus. Then there's Simon the Zealot and Judas, son of James, who is also a zealot. These were strong-willed, matter-of-fact, intense people. And they would be martyred because of their passion for Christ. Then there's Judas Iscariot. By the way, Judas Iscariot's the only one that's not a Galilean. They're all Galileans. Jesus filled his staff with Galileans except for one, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was given charge of the money, even though there's Matthew, which was way up at the top, but he didn't come in until late. He was not one that came from John the Baptist. Matthew, also called Levi, is a tax collector. But instead of placing burdens on people, he took great joy in lifting burdens. He had walked away from his wealth. Tax collectors were always putting their thumb on the scale so they got a lot for themselves. They paid the Romans what was due, but they also took for themselves and they were resented because in most cases they were wealthy by taking advantage of their position as a tax collector. So they were native tax collectors for a Roman government and they were able to enrich themselves on it. When Jesus called him, he got up and left everything behind. A man went from greedy to generous just by a call. He could have been the one that held the money, but he wasn't. It was Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot pilfered the money. He was always taking a little bit. Matter of fact, when the lady came to anoint Jesus' feet and wipe them with her hair, and the room was filled with the smell of a year's wages in perfume. Judas is like, why wasn't, that, why wasn't that perfume sold and given to the poor? He didn't want it to be given to the poor. He could care less about the poor. He was hoping it would go through the purse and he could take a little bit for himself. He was greedy. It's believed that the other 11 were saved and converted and believed in Jesus. He did not. Matter of fact, he's called the son of perdition. Matter of fact, he is called, the, there's a devil among my 12. Jesus never indicates that he was converted, even though he casts out demons. He prayed for the sick and they recovered. He went out, when they went out two by two, right along with the other 120, and he was right in the middle of ministry. He saw miracles. He was part of it. He was integrated in the church. He was within the 12 that Jesus chose to mentor for three years. He was within that circle of 12, and yet he never never committed to what it was all about. So Satan leaned on him and he went and betrayed Jesus. And then Satan possessed him when he went to go get the soldiers to come collect Jesus. I love the fact that when they came to collect Jesus, they asked if Jesus of Nazareth was there. And he goes up and kisses him. What a great thing for a traitor to be. That'd be like Benedict Arnold kissing George Washington on the cheek. I mean, it just he's totally betraying Jesus. There are 600 Roman soldiers, a consort of soldiers, with the temple guards, with the other people that have come with torches and clubs to take Jesus. Now, what I love about this passage is in the book of John, toward the end there, you've got to see this passage. It says, when Jesus says, who are you seeking, boys? They said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, 
I am, and this echo from the burning bush in the book of Exodus comes all the way forward to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and everybody who heard it that was coming for him fell back and fell to the ground. They're laying on the ground at his feet, probably burning each other with torches and bumping each other with clubs and poking each other with spears while they lay on the ground helpless at the feet of their creator. Who are you seeking, boys? Uh, uh, Jesus. Well, I'm your man. Jesus' life was not taken. Even Pilate recognized that. He realized he was in the presence of royalty. Now understand this. That fragrance that radiated off of Jesus for that entire week from that baptism in perfume pointed to wealth and regalness. He smelled like a king. And when he had the bearing of a king, he scared Pilate. Pilate just shuddered to think that he would be any part of putting him on the cross. He tried to wash his hands. His wife had had nightmares. He didn't want any part of it. But the Jews were demanding it, crucify him. I wonder how many people were in the crowd saying crucify him who were also in the crowd eating fish and bread when Jesus performed a miracle. I want you to understand there are people in our church that aren't going to heaven. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And please keep your... Uh, life with Christ up to date. But the Bible makes it clear that you can turn away. You can have your name removed from the Lamb's Book of Life. Don't be that person. I don't believe it's easy. I don't believe it's accidental. I don't believe your salvation will evaporate. But you know, anything that's neglected enough will die. So look at the difference. There are quiet people. There are impetuous people. There are leaders there are followers. There are passionate. There are thinkers. There are people in this group that are calm. There are people in this group that are almost irrational sometimes. And Jesus put them all together. And Jesus mentored them all the same. And one of them would be completely possessed by Satan when he left the supper to go get the people to betray Jesus. They'd scatter all over the place. Only John stayed in close. He knew somebody at the temple guard, and he slipped in and got as close as he could to Jesus while he was under trial. He even let Peter in the gate so he could get closer. Peter kept denying that he knew Jesus, and he did it three times before the cock crowed. So they were bold, and they were cowardice, and they were crazy passionate, and they were crazy reserved. They were every, every stripe of humanity. A matter of fact, you would have thought that, you know, 11 of them were Southerners. I just believe that. I believe Galilee is, even though it's on the north side of the map, if you turn the globe over, it's in the southern part of Israel. I believe they had a twang because they were recognized by their accent. And then there was, you know, this one New Yorker that got in the crowd that probably talked funny, and that would be Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was a Judean. And when you know it, you know, he's a betrayer, but, you know, he, he, wasn't, uh, he didn't even like sweet tea. You know, it's probably something wrong with him. And so in here with this story, you see all these differences. And you see all these conflicts. You even see a group of men that maybe wouldn't have chose to been part of each other, except for the ones that were brothers. There were several pairs of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Uh, there was also... Uh, well, let's see. I'm not even going to try. But James and John, Peter and Andrew, those were all brothers. And so here are these people with different stripes from different backgrounds. We had a tax collector. We had zealots who were, you know, there were those railing against the government. There were those that were trying to stop Roman rule over the the Israelites. There were, there were those that were just quiet, faithful believers who just tried to do the right thing. There were, there were those who just were solid and inquisitive and maybe questioned too much, but they just wanted to do the right thing. And Jesus threw them all together, sat around the campfire and talked about heaven, told them what it was like to be part of the kingdom, told them what it was like to be part of what he was doing, explained to them what he meant by parables that he gave to the people in the crowd. Help them to understand what was ahead, even though they didn't understand until it happened. It was when they looked back on things that they said, oh, Jesus did say that. Like when they were showing off the temple, which Solomon had worked on 
and I mean, uh, Herod had worked on for a long time to improve the temple, and they were still remodeling it in Jesus' time. And Jesus said, look at all this. It's, this body, this temple's going to come down, and in three days I'm going to raise it again. They were thinking of the temple, which did get destroyed, but he was talking about his own body. But they would look back and see in three days he did rise again, and he told them that he would. We see how that people ran up to the tomb, but then Peter ran past on in. Just the impetuous nature and the courage and the boldness. There were those that were hesitant. There were those that hid behind doors that were locked. You know, Thomas said, I won't believe until I touch it. I know he was from Missouri. But what he did for us is all those who doubt, he got it resolved because he said, touch it. Jesus appeared in the room without going through a door, and he said, come over here, Thomas. Touch my hands. Put your hand on my side. Look at my feet. It's me. So many times we think our differences are a curse. Our differences are the way God blessed us. We're not created to be the same. It's not fair to compare. God does not intend for us to look like everybody else. God wants us to celebrate the difference. Put that last scripture up if you got it there handy. It's Hebrews 12.2. 12. 12.2. You may not be able to switch over to it fast enough. That's a good one, but you know, that's not where I'm going. So in Hebrews 12, 2, it basically says, we do this keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You want to know how to follow Christ with great joy and great peace and great love? Look to Jesus. If we look to Jesus, we'll be the right person for the other person around us. If we look to them and compare, we're going to become critical and harsh, and we're going to try to generate a way that I look better in the sight of God than you do. I'm somehow a little bit better, but I don't earn or deserve anything, for by grace are you saved through faith that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't be saved by what we do. We're saved by the grace of God. So keep your eyes on Jesus because he's the one that's going to take you home. He's the one that's going to get you into heaven. He's the one that's going to finish the course. Don't look to other people. Their example may be inspirational, but Jesus is your source. We may draw on other people at times, but the truth is if we start comparing ourselves to others, the Bible says we're unwise. Because what do we do when we compare? We look for a way that we're better than another guy. God doesn't want us to look for a way that we're better. God wants us to look for a way to be better. God wants us to look for a way to improve this old man. God wants us to look for a way to be more of who we were designed to be. God is never going to say, Tim, why were you more like Matt? He's going to say, Tim, why weren't you more like Tim? The Tim I created you to be. He's going to hold you accountable for who you are. God was not asking Thomas to be Peter. He was not asking Andrew to be Philip. He was not asking any of them to be anybody else. I believe with all my heart that Judas Iscariot could have repented like Peter did, but it wasn't in his heart to do it. He had worldly sorrow. He was sorry he got caught. He got caught in the act of betraying Jesus. He got caught in the middle of realizing that instead of forcing Jesus into power, he put Jesus on the cross. He couldn't deal with it. Instead of repenting, he took his own life. Peter, when he realized that he denied Jesus when he needed him the most. And imagine, Jesus had been denied three times on three occasions through those early morning hours as Caiaphas and, uh, you know, Ananias were putting him through all this rigmarole. And when he denied him the, three time, the third time, the cock crowed, and Jesus was within line of sight where he looked right at him. And I know Peter just melted like, oh, I've really messed up. But instead of hanging himself, he went and repented with bitter tears. And God restored him. At the end of John... The last thing, one of the last things Jesus does is says, Peter, do you love me? Well, 
You know I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. Peter, you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Making me say it. Feed my lambs. Peter, yes, Lord, do you love me? You know all things, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Maybe at some point in your Christian walk you failed. So what? The Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll rise again. Keep falling forward. Yeah, but you don't know what I did. I don't care what you did. It's not that I don't care about you. I don't care what you did. If it's under the blood, he forgets. Why should I know? I don't need to know. You're forgiven. Let go. And be who God created you to be. Do not compare yourself to the other guy because God has something unique for you and you may eclipse the other guy in your own way, but not by being like him. God did not call me to be Billy Graham. God called me to be Tim Nelson. That's not a lower bar. It's a different bar. Billy Graham did phenomenal things. I'm, I'm so thrilled that we had a... a a minister who could sit down with presidents on a regular basis. And I'm sure when Billy sat with him, he said, you know, Mr. Nixon, Mr. Carter, you know, Mr. Uh, Eisenhower or whoever, he said, are you ready? You know, God was able to get him right into the White House. Just because you're powerful doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Do you know Jesus? But that's not my job. I wasn't given that opportunity. Billy was. What opportunities has God given you that he's not given me? What does God want you to do that I can't do? I'm right here in front of you doing what I know to do. And I do it in my office too when I'm at work. I do what I know to do. I do what I feel God wants me to do. I'm available wherever God can use me. But I'm just a volunteer. I'm not the pastor. That's Matt's job. It's not my job to fill his shoes. It's my job to fill these shoes. It's not my job to run the sound. That's those folks back there. It's not my job to run the video. It's not my job to tinkle away on the guitar trying to get me to quit. That's his job. And he does it so well. Doesn't he do it well? Yeah. Nothing, nothing says it's time to wrap it up, Pastor, like Justin playing. Tim, it's been 10 minutes. My fingers are starting to hurt. Come on now. He does it so nice and gentle, you know. It, it's not a big hook to pull me off the stage. It's just sort of those little notes going, you're done now, brother. You're done. Aren't you done? I want to get to Sonic. I need to get a cream slush. You know, I, I'm thirsty. Justin will get me in the back. What would you do that for? Well, because I love you, brother. I do envy your guitar skills, though. I'd like to play. I'm going to get a guitar, but it probably will be more like a paperweight or something. You could hold a lot of paper with a good-sized guitar, you know. What, what have you compared yourself to that you shouldn't? Have you compared yourself to somebody else's skills, and that's not the skill set that God's given you? Have you compared yourself to abilities that were not your calling? You know, when I see... Uh, Tom out here, you know, kind of leading the uh, security and the greeters and the ushers. I know that's his skill set. You know, that's what God called him to. When, when I see people that are in the nursery, I say, God bless them. One stinky diaper and I would backslide, you know. But I'm glad that there are people that will change other people's kids' diapers. God bless them. People, when I see 30 people in that children's section back there and I'm signing my kid in or out, I'm thinking, better you than me. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, it's not my skill set. What's your skill set? What has God called you to do? It, you know, so many times we thought this is where you end up. If you're, if you're passionate for God, you got to be a, a preacher. No, you don't. You got to be a believer so that everything you do is to honor God. How are you honoring God? 
and is God pleased? You know, he doesn't say, all the preachers to the front of the line, okay, you folks are going to have to wait, you know, you, you, you tithers, you regular attenders, you know. It's not going to be like that. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, uh, I'll close with this. There was a big line of preachers waiting to get in the pearly gates and St. Peter's, you know, processing them. We know that's not true, but, you know, it's the way the story goes. All of a sudden, St. Peter perked up and he ran past all the preachers, grabbed the guy, brought him to the front of the line, processed him real quick, took him on a personal tour, handed the desk over to an angel to finish processing all the preachers. One of the preachers got up to be checked in and he said, what's the deal with that guy? Pulled from the end of the line and suddenly pulled to the front and taken on a personal tour by Peter. He said, well, that was a truck driver. He scared the hell out of a lot more people than you did. Well, that's our job, isn't it? To fill people with Jesus. Let's be, let's be Jesus to this world. That's all God's asking. He wasn't asking for Thomas to be Peter. He was asking for Thomas to be real. He was asking for Andrew to be real, Philip to be real, James to be real, John to be real. God just wants us to be who we are in Christ and let Christ lead us to our best self. Let's be Jesus to hot springs so that somebody might make it to heaven that wouldn't have without you, without me. Because you know what? I don't know anybody I'd want to go to hell. And if you want somebody to go to hell, you need to examine that. The Bible says to love your enemies and pray for those that spitefully use you. I don't know anybody that I want to go to hell. I want everybody to go to heaven. And I don't want anybody to miss it. When I get to heaven and somebody's not there, it's going to grieve me. I think that half hour of silence is going to be where we catch our breath and think, they're not here. And then God will wipe our tears away and we'll go on with eternity. God help us to be compassionate. But we don't all have to be Peter. Jesus did not have 12 Peters. He had one. He didn't have 12 Johns. He didn't have 12 Andrews. He didn't have 12 Phillips. He had one. God wants you to be what he called you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, those that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. So God, help us to take our eyes off of others because that can be discouraging to our faith when people aren't perfect. And help us to put our eyes on you who, who is perfect. The one who created us and the one who set the tone. The one who saved us and the one who's going to guide us home. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who is perfecting himself in us. And help us, God, to show people what Jesus looks like so that somebody else may make heaven their home, regardless of how different we may be. Help us, God, to help each other, to help others enter the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.